Welcome to the Governance and Leadership Demystified podcast, where we share educational and inspirational stories that delve deeper into the governance and leadership journey. Without further ado, introducing your host, the CEO and founder of Synergy Executive and Boards Consulting Group, Trish Mendewo. Welcome. I am honored to have Laurel Douglas on our podcast today. Laurel is the CEO of Economic Trust of the Southern Interior BC, also known as Etsy BC. ETSI-BC is an organization that administers a $50 million endowment fund to support economic development in the Southern Interior region of BC. However, from 2004 until 2020, Laurel was CEO of Women's Enterprise Center, an award-winning nonprofit organization that provides business loans, advisory services, training, mentoring, and export support to women entrepreneurs throughout BC. Laurel is also a strong supporter of diversity and inclusion and the important role that post-secondary institutions play in economic development. She also has served on many regional and national boards and committees related to these themes. It is my pleasure to have you today, Laurel. To get us started, can you please share a little bit of your professional journey and how you've gotten to where you are today. Uh, sure, thanks uh, Trish. So I started out my career uh, in the finance and technology sectors. I worked in uh, Toronto for a while and then uh, got an MBA at French University called INSEAD, which is based in, in France. So when I moved over there, I, I ended up working for a number of years for large corporations in the technology sector, mostly telecommunications equipment, in roles related to market and competitive intelligence and strategic planning and business development. But um, in my mid-30s, I decided to change careers and uh, follow something more like a helping profession um, for somebody who has uh, two business degrees. So that's how I ended up in the economic development field. I moved to BC and uh, basically wanted to support businesses in their, in their growth. So it started out, like you say, um, I spent many years at Women's Enterprise Center. I also uh, was the founding executive director of the organization now known as Accelerate Okanagan. And I'm continuing that, that helping of businesses and communities with, in my role now at uh, ETSI-BC, the Economic Trust of the Southern Interior. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that journey. And I love the fact that you spent so many years as an executive director or in that management role, and then you went into governance as well. At what point did you do that switch? And what, what pivotal thing happened that made you say, you know what, I've been reporting to the board, but I'm going to step over to be on the board? Uh, well, for me, I was on a board uh, related to a field that I felt strongly about, which was helping companies get financing um, very early on. So 
I viewed it more and not so much as a progression as something that um, happened in parallel. So that continued. Um, and a lot of what I've done has been to help start things as well. So, you know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. And so I did help co-found the National Association of Women's Enterprise Organizations after I was at Women's Enterprise Center for a number of years. So that's kind of how it started, you know, wanting to serve in ways that could help fuel the things that I thought were important, then wanting to organize things and, uh, you know, creating an organization in that area. And then in, in about 2012, I joined the provincial government board. So I was first appointed to a board that was unrelated to my field of work but which I was also passionate about, which is post-secondary education. My career really did, and all of the adventures that I've had in my life, you know, traveling to different countries and so on, were really uh, um, related to, you know, I used education as a way of sort of reinventing myself a few times. So I really think post-secondary education is, uh, uh, is a great way to both further your own development as well as being a really important element in the uh, economic development of a region. So if there's strong post-secondary institutions in a region, then they will help generate all sorts of um, great interactions and great developments that can then foster economic development. So I joined the Degree Quality Assessment Board as a provincial government appointee in 2012, and I sat on that board for six years. And then uh, one thing led to another. I ended up on a, an advisory board for UBC Okanagan, and I'm now on the Board of Governors for the Justice Institute of BC. So that's like a strong interest of mine and continues to be. I've been on the board of the Central Okanagan Economic Development Commission since 2003. I'm actually its longest serving member. So, um, and that again is something that I'm, I'm, you know, feel strongly about. So most of my board work has been with uh, things related to my, my work and, uh, and my interests. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I cannot say enough about following your passion because when you're giving back and that's what it is when you're serving on boards you're giving back right so it is so critical to go with things that resonate with you to follow your passion and it makes it even more worthwhile especially when you can see the change that you know you can effect by doing so thank you for sharing that what would you say are some of the best practices on boards Given that you have sat on so many different boards, I'm sure you now have some things that you say, you know what, for, any, for a board to be effective, these are the best practices. Well, I think in order to answer that, you have to know what state the board is in, what state the organization is in, because I do think that there are different, at different stages of an organization's development, they need a different type of board. So I can't generalize uh, completely about that. I can say that if you if you're involved in setting up a nonprofit that's you know that's small and has uh, very few, if any, paid staff, then the board needs to be a little bit more proactive and involved. And you know the the best practice in that regard would be to make sure that the job descriptions are really clear 
for the board members. As the board matures or the organization matures and they get paid staff, a best practice for a board is to stop micromanaging or getting being involved in operations, but rather to be more of an oversight or a governance type of organization. And making that transition is quite challenging. So I've I've been personally involved in situations where that transition was difficult for some people. Some board members end up having to step down. Um, others, you know, have a transition period, which, you know, is a little bit challenging for them to get their head around, but they they do manage. And, and once you are an oversight board or, you know, a, rather a governance board, then I would say some of the best practices would be to, again, have very clear policies, have a policy manual, uh, which is not full of gobbledygook, but actually uh, very, very easy to, you know, read and follow and relate to. When I joined at CBC, we actually completely over overhauled our entire board policy manual because it had, it had become too complex. And if you, if it's so complex, you can't relate to it. So you don't really follow it. And, uh, and so that's really important. Uh, another best practice I would say is term limits, uh, for sure. I don't think that you should be on the same board forever, no matter how passionate you are about it. There needs to be some rejuven rejuvenation and uh, revival. And so that, that requires board term limits. We impose those at, uh, on the board of Women's Enterprise Center after I joined. They're an important part. Yeah, board. thank you for those best practices. Definitely you touched on the differences that you see when you know a board is just starting and it's a working board and everybody's just bootstrapping and they're doing the work. At some point, they ought to move on to become that governance board, right? But let's delve a little deeper on the last one you mentioned, the term limits. What are the benefits of having a term limit? Well, you know, I think I touched on it already. Just the the, the benefit of um, being able to get new new people with new energy and new ideas. You know, at uh, Women's Enterprise Center, the term limit is uh, five years. Um, if you are a regular board member, and then um, you can stay an additional three years if you're on the executive, and that to me would, you know, maybe nine years is the absolute maximum that, that someone, in my opinion, should stay on a board. I quite like the province of BC. They have a kind of maximum term limit of six years. And um, I actually had lunch today with a, a former board member from Women's Enterprise Center. And, and she was saying that you probably can give 80% of your contribution you can give within the first five years of being on a board. So, you know, the rest is kind of gravy and that that's is a that's a good rule of thumb you know when when you're new you're really energetic you uh, have a learning curve I, I hear you you notice in some of the boards where people overstay the boards become stagnant and there's no more innovation there's no creative ideas coming i i like to share about um how when boards are in the generative stage where really they are hungry and they're curious to really keep learning and keep developing. But if you overstay, that goes away. And then you just become just another regular board, right? And you find also that it's, it is difficult to attract new 
uh, voices at that time as well. So it is yeah. so critical to have those term limits. In your experience as an ED, I'm sure you've worked with all different types of boards and you know different mindsets. What were some of the things that you implemented when you were working with boards that were not focused? Well, I can't say that I uh, ever thought to myself, this board isn't focused. But what, what, can, what I can say is, is that having a clear plan for making sure the board is learning what it needs to learn in order to actually add value is really important to me. So very quickly, I try to get a plan in place with the board as to what they want to learn about and who they want to hear from so that they are able to focus on being future oriented and not just getting uh, hearing the CEO ramble on about activities that they've done because that to me is is a killer you know you don't want to spend the, your time uh, looking backward you want to spend your time looking forward and assessing risk and understanding what the you know the risk inventory is and how it's being addressed Oh, you're, you're lucky that you haven't worked with a board that wasn't focused, because I certainly have been on boards that were not focused, and it's painful. You know, and I'm talking about those boards where you, you, you show up to a board meeting and it becomes a social gathering, and in, then you vote for a couple of items at the end, and there's not even a discussion. And also, you see some boards don't tie their strategic plan with the work that the board is doing. And to me, that's my wasted time. So lucky you that you haven't had to, you know, to bring that conversation to the board to say, I think you need to be a little more focused. And I know it's difficult also as an ED to do that. Um, but you, you'd certainly see it on both sides. So I'm not sure as a, as a CEO reporting to a board, it's your job to make sure that the board gets good information and that the information is is tied to their strategic plan and their annual operating priorities. And, uh, and so I spent a lot of time in my current role doing that because we've changed things uh, around so much that we, we now have to uh, change all our, our reporting, all, all our processes, but also all our reporting to reflect that. Yeah, well, certainly what you're talking about is when you've got the healthy relationship between the CEO or the ED and the board, you have that conversation and you have that synergy that then shows up into what's happening in the boardroom. But when you are in those dysfunctional um, boards where, you know, the ED doesn't get along with the board and, you know, one is doing their own thing, it then leads into conflict and that also is reflected in how the meetings are run. What would be your best course of action if you were dealing with that type of a board where there is conflict? I think the, the absolute most important thing that is needed in order for an organization to function is trust between the board and the CEO. But that's the case in all relationships of that nature. You know, trust is the key ingredient in, in relationships of any kind. So if there's a reason why the trust was broken, if there's a, some kind of problem with the CEO, then the Carver model has a great saying. It's uh, if you don't like the outcome you've gotten, you can either change the policy or change the CEO. You said it best. <laughs> the answer was don't get to that conflict space or um, place. 
do everything you can to make sure that you don't get to that place. And if change is one of the things you need to have, then so be it, right? And you also touched on that important piece about having trust. And I think to add to that, the transparency and the communication really makes for a good functioning relationship between the board and the ED or CEO. Can I just uh, comment on that? That's the same case for the relationship between the, the executive team or the staff and the CEO. Because if there's a problem, the CEO does not want you to hide it or cover it up or pretend it isn't happening in any of those things. The CEO wants to be told about problems as soon as possible. They don't want to find out about them by accident or after the fact or find out that things have been hidden from them. The same with a board, you know, if you're upfront and transparent, that's you know what you were referring to before, I think. Uh, if there's an issue, signal it and then say what you want to do to fix it and don't try and hide it. That would be my advice. Exactly. And for the time that I've known you, I've known you for that transparency and, you know, just really making sure that everything is upfront. And that is a great characteristic for sure. We have many listeners that are aspiring board members. What characteristics do you think a board member must embody in order to be successful? I think a lot of people who get on boards are kind of nervous and intimidated and they judge themselves against all these more experienced people on the board and I think they might uh, especially if they're women they might kind of question or downplay their you know what they don't know or you know feel like they shouldn't ask questions and I would say the, the most important thing a board member can do is ask questions and that requires the courage to be willing to maybe take the risk of looking dumb by asking a question that might be you know obvious but i'm the master of asking seemingly dumb questions that actually uncover all sorts of interesting things and uh, and and that's a something that board members need more of you know or boards need more of they need people with the guts or the courage or whatever you call it to challenge what's being said to them not in a way that's adversarial but just you know questioning and and being curious and not being constrained by that fear that you don't want to look stupid or you don't want to bother anybody or you or or whatever so yeah oh, I, I i am with you on that one and i am a fan of brene brown's rumble language because when you use the rumble language, you're asking that question that might not be the most popular question, but the way you phrase it, right? Help me understand. That's not my experience. By doing so, you actually, you're right that you, you get information that otherwise wouldn't come from that conversation. So the answer is always in the question. So thank you for that. When it comes to the boardroom as well, and talking about women on boards, visible minorities on boards, one of the words I keep hearing is amplification. What are your thoughts around award nominations as a way of amplifying women and visible minorities, as well as it's almost, it's a form of casting the light on them and lifting them up. But what are your thoughts? 
Well, I guess there's two things that come to mind when I hear that. Yes, we we need to amplify or or increase the number of uh, women and people of color uh, and uh, people with different backgrounds on boards so that uh, different points of view can be reflected and different life experiences. But once they get there, we also need to amplify what they have to say because it's not always heard. What's really been fascinating to me over the years is watching a person who is so visibly different, you know, from on the outside, be ignored completely, even though they're so visibly different. And to me, that's bizarre. I mean, and so I've spent many, many years trying to help make sure that people who are different get heard. And, and that might mean in the case of a a board meeting, you know, you need, they say that you need at least three people of, you know, sort of the different background to be on a board together in order for them to even be heard. And that doesn't matter what, you know, what type of difference, if they're, if they're just different from the status quo, from the general board profile, they, their voice won't be heard. So that it, it, there need to be enough people of different backgrounds and then the things they say have to be picked up on by the rest of the people around the table. And we have an obligation as leaders to, to do that for, for each other and for the newcomers. To the yeah, so, so what I'm hearing from you is even though you might go and sit in that boardroom, sometimes you say things, but nobody hears it. So you need somebody else to be championing you know, the ideas that you're bringing forward or amplifying you so that your voice can be heard. That's a great point. Thank you. But before someone gets to the board, what do you think award nominations, what role do award nominations play when it comes to highlighting and casting light on others? You're talking about business awards or uh, that type of in, thing? In, yeah, any awards, yes. Well, certainly, uh, business awards have been uh, have been very helpful uh, for many uh, women and many business leaders of all uh, stripes. In order to get their name recognized, in order to have their achievements acknowledged, and I think it's a very good way of of helping people pre present themselves as potential board candidates too. So it's important to help each other nominate, uh, you know, find um, people to nominate, to make sure that new, new candidates are, are uh, found out about and, uh, and profiled so that they can, you know, eventually, if they have aspirations to join the board, you know, they can point to those, those aspects of their profile, which isn't just the you know, the, the hard work, you know, women often have a tendency to think that if they work hard, they'll be recognized, but that isn't all you have to do. You have to work hard, but you also have to amplify the, uh, the achievements in other ways. And the business award is, is one way of doing that. Would you say also that it helps with the confidence? Because sometimes people are doing amazing work, but they don't see it. 
But by you recognizing them, suddenly they are more confident to say, I am doing something good here and I can step up to a different table and be able to contribute. Absolutely. I think uh, business award nominations help do that because you start looking at yourself from the perspective of the nominator or the award program that does help frame your your experience and your accomplishments in a different way. Even uh, programs like Women's Enterprise Centers, uh, the, the Taking the Stage program, which the Humphrey Group sponsors, helps a lot in uh, providing skills around leadership and confidence and presentation skills in, in order to make people ready for the next step in their leadership journey. And it was very gratifying for me to see how many people over the years um, participated in the Taking the Stage program and then ended up as civic leaders such as yourself or in uh, on boards and so on. And that, so that's a good tool for the, for the women who are able to take the Taking the Stage program, which the Humphrey Group uh, offers and Women's Enterprise Center is able to offer uh, with their generous support. But nominations for business awards is another really great way for, for, uh, for people to get that sense of, of accomplishment and just acknowledge their own achievements, which is something you have to be able to do in order to put your name forward for, for a board. And a good place to start with that is to put your profile on the CABRO website. CABRO stands for Capital Crown Agencies and Board Resourcing Office. So that asks you to post a profile in order to be considered for any provincial government uh, appointments uh, on boards. And so that's, that's a good uh, way to start on this whole journey if that's the kind of board you want to be on. Yeah, amazing. That's a great resource. And we'll make sure to to share that um, outside of the podcast. We'll share with our audience as well. You've had such an impressive journey professionally and as a governance professional, I should say. What would you say to younger you? In other words, I'm looking for that tip of advice that someone who is young, who is listening, can say, you know what, this is what I need to look at. One fun thing that I think is really useful for women especially is to think of themselves and what they need and what they should be asking for in in the third person because sometimes they might tend to be willing to settle for less than they deserve. So if you're negotiating a salary level or if you're trying to ask for a promotion or if you think you should get a promotion think of yourself in the third person and think of what they would need and uh, not what I would need <laughs> if you do that you you'll probably think that they need or they deserve or they have accomplished more than than you might think you've accomplished just because of that um, I'm not really sure what they call it downplaying of one's own accomplishments so that's a good uh, piece of advice I would say don't downplay your own accomplishments and uh, one trick for doing that is by thinking of yourself in the third person yeah, yeah for sure and, and you, you you see that even when when people are tapped to get onto boards some of them are like oh no I'm not qualified for that I can't sit there because sometimes they look at the profiles that are there and then they self-select out. So yeah. I think to your point there, if they look at it from a third person, 
And if somebody else comes and says, you know what, this is you, all that plays together. And suddenly the person is saying, yes, I can do it. Yes, I can sit there. Thank yeah, you, Laura. I would recommend possibly getting the book about the imposter syndrome written by Dr. Valerie Young, uh, Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. That's another uh, good thing to familiarize yourself with. So just like with unconscious bias, you know, when we're not conscious of how we're thinking, then, you know, we do, we think we do dumb things based on thoughts we have, which aren't true. And some of those thoughts might be about ourselves. So the more become a, we become aware of what we, how we think about ourselves and, and the more we become aware of what's not true and, and how that might just be, you know, an example of the imposter syndrome or an example of unconscious bias, then, uh, then the faster we can, you know, sort of get over that and, uh, and reach our true potential, which is what I, I try to help organizations do and try to help the, my teams do and try to help the boards I'm on do. You can't say it any better than that. And also to just, re the reminder you give people is thoughts become things. So be careful of what's going on in your mind, right? Any last minute tips for our audience before we sign off? Well, I just, my advice would be if you want to go on a board, find something you're really interested in because, you know, you do have to spend time preparing for the meetings and uh, you have to, you know, really be interested in the subject matter if you want to pay attention during the meetings and really contribute. So that's a really important thing. And there are so many places where you can do that. So many aspects of life, which need governance and, uh, and we need more women leaders and more people of color to, to step up and get in those positions so that we can have a more rich conversation. And so I'm, I'm really hoping that uh, with your help, more people will be able to do that and have, have the tools to be able to succeed. Thank you so much, Laurel. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you and getting all the wisdom out of you. Really appreciate you. And till next time, thank you. Thanks a lot, Trish, and all the best. Please go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review as your feedback helps us in creating new content that continues to speak directly to you. Remember, Good governance is the epitome of good leadership. Bye for now.